Hey, good morning. You know, when Karen and I were married, we were abundantly blessed. Uh, we, we came in with, uh, you know, the lifetimes uh, accumulated possessions of poor college students. And so when everyone showed up and just blessed us abundantly with financial provisions and, and gifts, they really, they really gave us um, enough to get life started. One of the things that we, we got, we received, was a couch. It was a gift from some friends. You can see it there in that picture. Um, this couch, my friends were unable to get rid of any other way than by giving it to them, giving it to us. Uh, structurally, it was sound, but it was made of fake leather, and someone at some point in the past had tried to recolor the couch, uh, and they, they decided they would test it on a very conspicuous spot on the left armrest, and it didn't work, and so they stopped. And so it was kind of like whitewashed in one area. And that was followed up by a kid who decided to uh, make artistic expression with a Sharpie all over it. And so it was almost like one of those practical special effects where it looks like there's a hole punched through the side of this couch, but, but it's actually not. The thing was hideous. So we covered it with a blanket, and we used it for years. And, uh, and we made a home out of it, and it was good. And there in the second picture, you can see our deluxe coffee table. Um, it was a special edition cardboard vacuum cleaner box that we covered with a tablecloth, and that's what we used for a, a coffee table. And over the last, uh, you know, almost 12 years now at this point, we have begun the slow process of trading things out, of taking things that were, you know, poor, broken, or ugly, <laughs> really ugly, uh, or, or something that was never intended to be used that way, and, and we've upgraded it, and we've, we're, we're now just blessed. And in our home, it's just been totally transformed. But even more than the furniture in my home, uh, my life has been transformed. If you would have told me 15 years ago about how I'd be using, you know, my free time uh, and the rest of my life and, and who I would be, I don't think I'd believe you because there's been so many incremental changes that have taken place. And, and there's no way I could have gone from the person I was 15 years ago to the person I am today. Uh, rather, it just took a bunch of small steps. For instance, left to my own devices, I am something of a hoarding slob. Uh, I don't clean very well. Uh, my, the places I inhabit are living representations of the law of energy to entropy. And if you want a case study of that, you can go down into the church tool room and see what is slowly uh, happening down there. And that is just what I do to every space I come into. Um, but by God's grace and Kara's influence, that is beginning, beginning to change. But transformation takes time, and it takes effort, uh, oftentimes. And, and so much more in our Christian life. See, see, the gospel holds out that we will be changed. We're changed not by our own hard efforts. In fact, there's nothing, there's nothing that we, on our own power and on our own terms, can do to save us. Or as Paul says in Ephesians, we are saved by grace and, and not by works. However, we are saved for good works. The intent is that now that God has made us one, now that we belong to one another, there's responses, there's attitudes, there's shifts that need to take place in our life. And the hope one day is, is we'll be made complete. God's going to take care of that. So no matter how much progress we happen to make uh, on planet Earth, like God has a future in hand, but we as Christians, we're called to, as Paul says, walk worthy of the gospel. And see, that's not a, it's not a bad thing. 
that Paul wants for us. It's actually, it's actually a good thing. Like in my life, um, despite how many things I've had, to give it up, I've had to give up over the last 15 years, I would say my life is more blessed now than it's ever been. And so Paul tells the Colossian church in chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and the Laodiceans and all who've not met me personally. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yes, Paul writes like that, and I know it's hard to understand. And so it was just a few days ago when I was reading this again and went, oh, that's what he's saying, Um, even more so. That for Paul, the goal is that everyone would experience the full riches of knowing Jesus. Like, that we would actually live into it, live into the full potential of what we already have. And so in chapter 2, he says, you guys don't need anything else. Don't let, don't let people deceive you. Don't let people, um, you know, succumb to a counterfeit where people say, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z and observe this holiday and practice these rituals and um, be concerned about these intermediate spiritual authorities like angels or, or visions or whatever it is, that there's something that you don't have in the Christian life that you absolutely need. And Paul says, hogwash to it all. You have Jesus. You're good. Jesus is everything. And all of these, these things that look so good on the outside, he says, they are practically of, of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't accomplish the transformation that's needed. You know, Sterling mentioned with our kids, it's like, we, we might be able to control your behavior, but what really needs to happen is something on the inside, in your heart, in your, your minds. And Paul wants us to be blessed He wants us to be blessed by Jesus by putting on the likeness of Christ. There are riches here for us to find. And in chapters 3 and 4 this morning, he's going to show us how. And so he begins by saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is where we begin. If you want to know how to be transformed in the Christian life, the first thing to do is to put your hopes, your dreams, your purposes, your vision, all of it in heaven with Christ Because if you set your sights lower on anything else here on earth, you will be disappointed and it will not work. If you are living for your career, you can lose it. If you're living for your family, your kids might leave you. If you're living for riches, they can vanish and retirement may not be what you expected. And and fame, well, you may be canceled. And anything here on planet earth that people live for can't hold water and it, it can't accomplish the transformation that's needed. What, what begins is for us to put all of our hopes on a long-term investment that's landed and secure in Christ in heaven. That's where our life resides. And it's secure and it's firm and therefore nothing on earth can actually touch it. And that's really, really important because transformation needs to take place all over the place. So first thing, put to death, Paul says, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature Whatever was characteristic of life before Jesus, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
evil desires, and greed. And I, I take these five things to kind of operate on a spectrum. Any, any sexual expression outside of a marriage between a man and a woman for life, and then like expands to impurity because there's lots of things that we can do that isn't sex, but it's still wrong, <laughs> to, to passion, to lust, to the craving desires that make us go out of control, to just things that we want that are evil, and it ends up in, in greed and covetousness, and he calls it idolatry. So let me just explain that one a little bit. If you go to the store and you see a Snickers bar and you want it and you have the money for it and no medical necessity not to eat it, it's not a sin to buy and enjoy said Snickers bar. But if you're at work in the the lunchroom and you pull out your sandwich that you were perfectly content to have made, And you you were happy when you made it this morning, and you were happy as you pull it out, and you're about to take your first happy bite of said sandwich until you notice your neighbor has a Snickers bar. And all of a sudden, when you realize what they have and what you have in response, don't want any of it. All of a sudden, my satisfaction has been turned to dissatisfaction and discontent because I want something that someone else has. And what I have is not good enough for me. And all of a sudden, we, we spurn the blessings. And, and you guys see it. We see it all over the place. It's like, this was fine until you realized what someone else got. And it totally crushes our attitude. And Paul calls that idolatry. Because here's what actually happens. When we look at what God has put into our lives, and we are greedy, and we, we want what other people have, and we're discontent with it, we are essentially telling the creator of the universe, God, you kind of suck. And what you've given me isn't good enough for me. We, we put ourselves as judge of the creator of the universe. Don't do that. Paul says, kill that. Kill that. Kill all these things. Why? Because they destroy relationships and they're bad for the church. Get rid of it. This belongs to the old life. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. When we lived as spiritually dead people. This is God's wrath revealed. And in Romans, Paul says one of the primary ways that God's wrath is revealed is by letting people just do what they insist on doing and then suffer the consequences. And I have a long story of something terrible that happened, but you all have your stories too. We all know the destruction that comes when sex gets screwed up. Uh, You know, in two words, we could just say, you know, the foster program or... (laughs) or the political scandals, or the stuff that makes it up on newspapers. Like, like sex is a powerful thing. Don't, don't go messing with it in the church. Kill it. So we are to stop at nothing, to remove inappropriate sexual actions, desires, and constant wanting, because these have no place in the communal life of Jesus' followers. But now, Paul says, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice, slander and filthy language. And again, I, I see this as kind of operating on a continuum of the inward, inward uh, attitudes and, and desires that, that make us want bad things to happen to people. And eventually, if we're holding that inside, uh, it spills out of our mouths and it comes out in language where we, we put people down and we shout and we scream and we rage at people. And this is bad for community too. And if the first group is things to kill, and this is stuff to get rid of, then you can think of sexual immorality, greed, and impurity. Like those are, you know, if you buy a house and you come in and you realize that the floorboards are rotting out, you've got to cut that out or it's going to destroy your home. 
you absolutely have to get rid of it. And the second group of things is like the trash. You got to regularly take this stuff out. It, it needs to go. It's just not quite on the same level as the other ones. Why? Because it's about our life together. It's about the church. It's about unity. So Paul says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, Jesus, you know, with its practices, he implies, which is to be renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We're meant to look like Jesus, folks. That's what we're here to do. And we are renewed into the image of Christ, our creator, through knowledge, through getting to know, personally know him better. And here in the church, there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian or, or Scythian. Um, it's kind of some debate, but that either represents there's no like high culture <laughs> and no class people, uh, or rather that these were opposite ends of the Roman Empire, like northerners and southerners, like whatever human divisions we want to throw at people. It says they don't exist. There's no slave or free no distinctions in the economic ranks with people in the church. No, Christ is all. He's everything, and he's in all. He's in all these different kinds of people. It's all about Jesus. He's our life. He's where our hopes, desires, and dreams are to reside, and it all is about Jesus for us. So don't live like we used to live. No, live after Christ. So we need to get rid of the thoughts and words that destroy a community that is growing to look like Jesus. Therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people, that's a, that's a pretty special title, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. We were to put off these other things, you know, doff those, don these, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, gentleness and patience. Care for people. Be committed to their good. Don't think that you are better or, or awesome, but humble yourselves. And then gentleness or like meekness, I realized, I don't even really know what that word means in English. I had to look it up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what it means. I just don't see it hardly anywhere. My best, best shot at what meekness or gentleness means is to not be concerned with preserving my own image. To not be, you know, standoffish or to have walls up, but, but rather to be more concerned with the needs, concerns of, of the people in front of me that I don't have to be defensive, to be meek. It's just not about us. And to be patient. Or as the King James said, to be long-suffering, which is more accurate, I think, than, than patience. <laughs> Paul falls up, bear, bear with each other and forgive one another. It's just, it's, it's an, uh, an established truth. If you are here at Family of Grace and you have not had one of us hurt your feelings or offend you, get ready because it's going to happen. Because if history tells us anything, humans are really, really bad at living together in peace for any length of time, which is why we need Christ. That's why we need forgiveness. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, that stung. Let it go. Move on. 
Why? Because Jesus has been so, so good to us. Now, there are, there are other passages we can go to. There are serious issues that need to be dealt with. You know, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault, and, and there's a process of repentance. Uh, so this isn't the end-all, be-all. Don't sweep everything under a rug. Genuinely love one another. But forgiveness is to be the name of the game and a consistent, persistent, gritty commitment to do good for the person in front of us. Bear with each other. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which just binds them all together in perfect unity. This is about unity. This is about how we live out the life. This is about the fitting, proper response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we put off the old life, we put on the new. We acquire the virtues of love and forgiveness, which unite a community to grow, to look like Jesus. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, singing to God with gratitude. Whatever you do, do it to the Lord, giving thanks to God. Here's the action, and here's the gratitude, the thankfulness that needs to come. So let's Let's walk through these. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What an what a interesting phrase. Let Christ's peace reign. Let it govern you. Let it have authority over you. Peace. Now, many of you guys in your everyday relation, uh, relationships and at work, you have to interact with the public, which means that in any given moment, you may be interacting with a grown adult behaving as a small child. Yeah, yeah, we left. It's true. But because you're wearing the uniform, because you represent your company, you are called to not respond in kind. You're called to be the grown-up here. You represent your company. You cannot, you know, walk down to their level and shout back at them. You're called to something higher, and we do it. Why? Because we're paid to. Well, take that idea and give it just a Jesus-level upgrade because Christ died to accomplish peace within the church. So let that peace reign over all of our grievances and issues with one another because something so much more important than my own personal preferences happen in this church, and that's Jesus and the peace he accomplished. It's said in the Civil War that there was actually a battle that was fought after peace had been signed after the South surrendered to the Union. Why? Because people didn't get word of it. But once word got out that the war was over, no one's one's fighting each other anymore. Peace has been won. And like it or not, we're not starting up the war again. Jesus has died to accomplish peace within the church. Like it or not, we've we've got to live underneath that. Since as members of one body, we were called to peace. So we bear with each other's burdens. We figure it out. We are are steadfastly committed to making this work no matter the cost because Jesus paid the ultimate cost for us. And we let the message of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another. Those words are what Paul says he does. He teaches and admonishes everyone so they may become mature in Christ. And now Paul calls the Colossian church to do that. Teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Get into the Scriptures, hymns, and the Word of Christ. Paul hasn't been quoting from the Old Testament, but it seems based on this verse, his expectation is that the, these 
Gentile believers would start to steep themselves in the Scriptures so they can help one another grow and be mature and sing. Turns out there's a reason that we do music every time we gather together as God's people. This matters. We give thanks to God and we encourage one another. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. He's our life. He's our hope. He's where we set our, our, our minds. And so now let's get really, really offensively personal. And let's talk about the relationships that we have within our own homes. Wives, submit to yourselves. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they're going to become discouraged and slaves. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Being part of an oppressed minority carries you no favor with God. Everyone stands before Him as, as people. And masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right. There's absolutely no tricky issues in anything that we just covered there whatsoever. Uh, or, or maybe there are. So let's go and look at slaves because of any of the groups, these are the most oppressed and the people with least control over their life circumstances. And Paul spends like three or four times longer talking to slaves than he does any other category. And so I think we can take this and then ap apply it around. Slaves, you who have really no authority over your life, you who are under the subjection of a, of a master, obey your master. Why? Because because he's not your, they're not your ultimate master. Jesus is. Because now that you're in Christ, now that your life is hidden with Christ in God, you are serving someone other, ultimately, than the person right in front of you. So it doesn't matter if your master's good or bad. Don't just, don't just do the work because you're being watched. Do it for Jesus, because Jesus sees it. Jesus will repay you. Jesus knows what's going on. And, and the beautiful truth is that who you are and, and, and your life is not now determined on being a slave. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When he returns, you will no longer be a slave. You will be free. There's an article someone wrote uh, and presented at Harvard back in, I think, 1947, um, a guy named Howard Thurman on the, the role and meaning of Negro spirituals. And how for slaves who had no human, uh, no earthly prospects of a better life, how the hope of heaven and the coming judgment uh, gave them hope to endure and gave meaning to their present suffering. This is, this is, a, a, this changes everything. And if slaves are called to do that, well then, masters, guess what? You're not the ultimate authority around here. You have a master too. You are someone's slaves. And therefore, children... Obey your parents, not because they're always awesome, but because you have a, a parent in heaven. And this pleases Jesus. 
And, and fathers, particularly, who might tend to get angry or embitter uh, with your children, don't discourage them. Why? Because we have a loving Father in heaven who cares for us. And so husbands, love your wives. Not because they're always really nice to you. Not because of who they are. Love your wives because of Jesus. Because He gives you the authority and the perspective in order to love this person in front of you no matter what the situation may be. And wives, the same things about submitting to your husbands. At the end of the day, every relationship that we encounter is not to be defined by who this person is but rather to be defined by who Jesus is to us. Just like when we show up at work and we engage with the public, it doesn't really matter who this customer is. We behave in certain ways towards them because we are secure in our employment and our representation of someone um, with, with interests. We reflect them. And so we just, again, give all our human relationships Jesus-level upgrades, and we encounter every person now no longer as they are in themselves on an earthly level, but as Christ would have us treat them with his resources and with his mindset. And so we submit and we love and we sacrifice and we obey and we serve in light of our Lord because that's where our life is hidden. And again, Paul's not trying to squish us. He's not trying to subject us. He wants us to experience a blessed life. He wants us to have the riches of the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus. This will change everything, even if you don't necessarily see it right now. But it's, it's not an easy overnight transition <laughs> for most of us. We're going to have to walk this out long and hard. So all our relationships, all of our work are to be lived in light of Jesus as Lord. Now devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. That's, that's one sentence in Greek. It's really all about pray for Paul and his ministry. And pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He concludes with this idea that we should pray that both ourselves and others would communicate the goodness of Jesus clearly, wisely, and often through both word and action, that we do everything really in the name of Jesus. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Be gracious to people. Don't blow them up on social media. Be kind and, and pray for Paul that the word of Christ would go out from him clearly and wisely. Now to conclude, I'm just going to kind of rattle through the ending to the book of Colossians because there's a lot of people to say hi to. Now, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow slave, servant, in the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And he's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And Paul doesn't call him a slave of anything. And they will tell you everything that's happening here. Next week, Alex is going to open up the book of Philemon for us. And this gets really, really significant. Now, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort for me. 
And Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may, kind of summary of Colossians here, stand firm in all the will of God, be mature in Christ, and be fully assured of your salvation. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those of Laodicea and Hierapolis. And our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that's in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. It's a little passing comment, but Paul understands that the letters he's writing are meant to be shared beyond their immediate context. The, church, the, the letter he wrote to the Colossians, it, it's also going to be beneficial for this other church nearby. It's also going to be shared, I mean, ultimately with, with us. And I think Paul, Paul wanted that, and he knew that would happen. Tell Archip, Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. And it, with a closing flourish, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace, grace be with you. So he concludes to tell us to remember and help and esteem those who serve and model the Jesus life. So there's a woman whose husband left her, and she had a son. And she lived a hard life, and she was dead set against having her boy grow up and experience the same things that she did. And so she gave everything for her son. And she worked two or three jobs to put him through school and at high school graduation. She was so excited because her son had been uh, welcomed into a prestigious university. And then she realized that if she just let him go to school, he'd be crippled for his life with, with a crazy amount of debt. And so she continued working herself to the bone, pulling two or three jobs to pay for tuition and books and clothes that her son's future might be better off than hers. And on graduation day, there was no woman more proud of her child than that mom. And shortly thereafter, her son was given a really amazing job at a prestigious firm and started making more money than she's ever seen in her life. But the years and decades of long, backbreaking toil finally uh, kind of broke her health. And she spent a week in the hospital. And then when she went home, there was, there was care that she was going to need. And so the nurse who's about to discharge mom from the hospital calls up the, the son to tell him about what his mom needs. And the boy on the other end of the phone says, well, that sucks. I'm sorry. Click. And he walks out of his mom's life forever. Actually, he doesn't because I made this story up. But there's something in us that rebels against that thought. That we would scream at that person, how dare you? Because we know that it's, it's not like the son could ever do something to earn all that his mother gave for him, but that love, love places bonds upon us. Love demands a response, a sacrifice like that, that place constraints on us. So we, we have to fulfill, not because we're guilted into it, not because we are coerced into it, though some want to twist it that way, but, but truly love like that should cause a response in us, one of joy and, and of reciprocal love. And so if Christ truly did die in order that we might have life, and if our life is now hidden with him, if we have been given in him all the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then Paul says there's, there's a response that should come from that. 
Not, not one of coercion, not one of you've got to earn my approval or I'm going to squish you, but, but simply the, the demands of love <laughs> and, and a constant change. So Paul wants to bless the Colossians, and I want to bless you. Like, I have no greater joy than all of you to stay in Jesus and walk in him so that you can experience all the riches that come from Jesus. So be blessed by making your life in and with Jesus your goal. Put, put your sights on heaven because anything you're living for here on earth is going to fail you. Um, and if you don't believe me, just look at the people who've accomplished it and watch how miserable they are. Okay? Look at the chart-topping, island-buying, suicide-committing musicians. Look at the, uh, you know, once powerful and once great politicians who now scheme for some control and, and are just kind of burnt out, used up, and say this is all for nothing. Look at the millionaires in their retirement homes with no family around them who are dying, never saying, man, I just really wish I spent more time at the office. Put your sights on Jesus. Let it transform absolutely every relationship, every word you speak, every thought that you think, because it's all about Jesus. And if we find him, we find the secret to joy and happiness and contentment and delight. This is the good life. He has it out for us, and I want you to experience it. So we need to stop doing what Jesus doesn't like. Just like the transformation that took place in my marriage came by this woman who I love saying, you know, I really don't like it. When you, there's lots of blanks to fill in there um, still. And, and so it starts with things to kill. It goes from sexual immorality, uh, lust, impurity, greed. And so I'm just going to highlight the two most common ones. Obviously, if you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse, stop it. Please, it destroys, it destroys things. But let's pick lust. Because as a, as a high schooler, I learned that lust kills. It made me feel like I... I was a, um, a hypocrite, masquerading as a good guy, and yet feeling that the moment anyone saw behind the mask, I would be rejected by everyone in my life that I held dear. It's a terrible way to live. And so I regularly try to come up and just announce, you know what, I've been addicted to pornography for a long time, and by the grace of God, I've been free, I think, 12 or 13 years at this point, which is good, but it's something that needs to die. And death begins with confession. We'll, we'll talk more about a response. But if this is something you struggle with, then confess it, get help, and let's walk through it. All right? If you struggle with greed, if you look at the blessings that come to other people's lives and it just makes you bitter because you don't have those things, we've got to cut it out. Get it out by the roots. And whether that's anger or using your mouth and talking bad about people, it destroys community, it destroys the unity that Christ died to achieve. We need to take out that trash. So if we're going to stop doing what Jesus doesn't like and, and divest ourselves of those garments of the ways we used to live, then here's what we need to put on. So from lust to accountability. Maybe you need to install a, a program called Covenant Eyes. It just monitors where you go online and send some emails to some trusted people so they can go, hey, are you okay and what's going on? We can get help. Maybe instead of greed, we can practice thankfulness. That's the antidote to greed, is to thank God for everything that he's given in our lives. 
Maybe instead of going from anger, wrath, compassion, uh, and malice, like desiring harm to people, let's put on compassion. Let's say because of Jesus, this person matters in front of me. And it doesn't matter how frustrating they might be to me right now, I can at least care about them as a person and express that care in tangible kindnesses. Even with a grumpy attitude. Hopefully not. All right? And rather than using our words to rip people down, let's use our words to build people up and to create maturity. So, again, the goal is blessings. The goal is that by practicing these things over time, you will find transformation and, and, and wholeness. So we're going to fall in love with Jesus personally every day by one, getting to know him better. In him is all the riches of wisdom and, and kindness. So let's study the scriptures together. I know of no, there's no other shortcut for just knowing your Bible. I don't have a secret manual back in my office of like the real words to get close to God. All we have is the Bible. Like this is the testimony about Jesus. And my, my office is full of a bunch of different books of other smart people who have gone to the scriptures and said, you know what, there's riches here that will change lives and that is powerful. And so all of these Christian books that we read are really just reflections on the one book that all of us have in our own homes. We have the resources, it's just what have we done with it? And if, you, if you've not done this yet, if this is something you struggle, I would just commend you to spend 15 minutes a day. I'm just really picking a number, but most people at 15 minutes a day can read their Bible in a year. Most people. And some of you, you already have the margin. You could just add this to your life. And others of you, you'd have to give something up. Maybe you have to give up your first 10-minute break at work and say, during that break, I'm going to read my Bible. Uh, I know someone who says, I, I can't put on my makeup in the morning unless I've, I've been in the Bible. So, you know, you spend time in the Word or you go without makeup all day. Like, that's, that's what she chose. Like, whatever it is, knowing Jesus brings blessings. And now I said the antidote to greed is thanking God for something. Maybe, maybe over a meal, everyone in your family, if you sit down to eat as a family, pick three things and thank God for them. Or before you go to bed at night, say, God, I'm going to thank you for five things and just practice. This is a practice to put on practice gratitude, practice thankfulness. Because Paul is in prison, remember? <laughs> The dude's in prison and has been in prison for years, and he is full of joy at the ministry that God has given him. So it's not about your circumstances. It's not about the people in front of you. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we can fall in love with him, then hopefully we can help other people fall in love with him too. Paul tells us to pray that God's word would be shared clearly, wisely, and often with others. Let's be fervent to pray this. Let's... let's. Uh, you know, if the antidote to anger is compassion, pick one person a day to show compassion to no matter how they behave. Whether that is that one customer that you struggle with, whether that's a coworker or your manager at work, maybe that's, there's a particular person in your family that for whatever reason right now in this stage, mm, you know? And yet say, because of Jesus, I have all the resources that I'm going to practice compassion towards them that no matter what they do, they cannot affect the peace that Christ has accomplished for me. And that as a representative of Jesus, I can work towards their good. Now, maybe I'll set boundaries, you know, and, and behave appropriately, but I can be compassionate to this one person. This is my goal today. <laughs> Lord, help me in it. 
Or maybe if we're studying the Scriptures, and if our mouths are not to be used for ripping people down, but rather for building them up, maybe we should teach and admonish each other. And and a way that could look is maybe you need to tell someone about what you're learning about God and the difference that it's making in your lives today. And with all, I'm I'm giving you a lot of different pictures, and I would just say, like, pick one. (laughs) Just pick one thing, like furniture in your home. Pick one thing that's going to get replaced now. It's a long process, but it brings blessings because Christ makes a difference in our lives, and I want you to experience blessings. And if you want more of it in the fall, I'm, I'm looking to start a group uh, that's just going to meet weekly uh, with the goal of, of pursuing some of the, we call them the basic disciplines of the Christian life, pursuing God together. Uh, I, I have a lot more work to put it together, but I put it in the sermon as an incentive for me to actually get it done. So, you know, I'm telling you all about it because I need to. Because <laughs> I want you to be blessed by making life in and with Jesus your goal. It worked for a guy named Paul who was in prison. And it worked for a whole host of African-American slaves in the deep south who realized they are putting faith and life in, in Christ in heaven that they, they have hope beyond their present existences. And for us, it means that it can change our relationships with our, our husbands and our wives and our children and our coworkers and our bosses, that every relationship we encounter now can get the Jesus-level upgrade because we serve Him. And so it's not about our situations, and it's not about those people in front of us. It's not about what today or tomorrow might look like. It's about Jesus It's all about Jesus. Let it always be about Jesus. We don't need anything else because we have him. Let's be blessed in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious and good God, thank you. God, thank you for what you have done for us in in Christ. Thank you that you love us and that you now live not only inside us personally, but inside us corporately. And Father, if you've come to live in this house, I pray that, well, since you're here, that we would be good hosts of you, that we would honor you, that we would praise you, that we would let nothing destroy the unity for which Christ died to achieve, that we would love one another and bless one another and serve one another and forgive one another, and that slowly, day by day, we together would be committed to putting off the life that we once lived and putting on those practices and those thoughts and those words that look like Jesus and represent him well to the world um, so that your word might go out, so that more people might be saved, so that we might be blessed and full and rich in life, no matter our circumstances. But God, we can only do this by your power and by the working of your spirit within us. Um, But as Paul says, Lord, that he labors mightily with all the power that you're working mightily in him. Uh, So let us too I give this everything we have because you, Jesus, have given us everything that you have. And so, Father, we praise you in Christ's name.